Psalm 8. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen. Well, it's great to be with you this evening. Thank you very much for the invitation. And uh, it's nice. I've been here several times for different pastors' events and FIC events, but it's nice to be here for a Sunday service. Now, I have some slides, which hopefully will appear on the screen, and uh, if, probably can't see them because I'm in the way, but there they are. The <clears throat> At our church in Abingdon, the, uh, over Easter, we looked at uh, the whole thing about the passion the passion being, you know, the, the events of Christ's death and resurrection, particularly his death. And around that time, we looked at psalms of passion and psalms that particularly speak prophetically into the events of Easter. And I was given Psalm 8. I chose Psalm 8. And when Neil said, please speak on a psalm, I was like, right, it's Psalm 8, because I know it's not Easter time. But when you read Psalm 8, you think, what's that got to do with Easter? And we're going to get there, and we're going to explain that to you. But I'm not doing 34, 22, and 16, okay? So we're just going to do Psalm 8 this evening. Psalm 8, if you want a structure, is all about glory. And the first few verses talk about the glory of God. And then the kind of second half, just a bit over, talks about the glory of humanity. Very, very simple structure. God's glory, and then the glory he gives to humanity. So when you hear the word glory, what do you think? Maybe you're a sports fan and you're watching the Women's World Cup this afternoon. I don't know who won. I don't know whether you watched it. And then whoever it is, maybe they're still playing. They lift up the trophy and all the ticker tape goes. And the the applause rings out and the music plays and everyone celebrates except the losing team who have politely clapped. And there's glory and adulation, victory. This team have the glory because they have the status of being best. They are the most praiseworthy. That's kind of how we associate the word glory, isn't it? We had a wedding at our church this morning. We don't normally have weddings at half past nine in the morning at our church, but a couple from um, Hong Kong were getting married. They're part of our church. They'd gone back to Hong Kong to get married, and they live-streamed their wedding, and the way the time zones worked out, that it was about half past nine in the morning. So lots of people gathered, and we played it on the screen, and it all worked fine. We got to share in their wedding, and it was splendid and glorious as the bride comes in, you know, resplendent and, and glorious, and it was another idea of this concept of glory praiseworthy 
Amazing. Stunning. We often associate the concept of glory with the royal family. You watch a, a proper royal event, you know, the, the uh, trooping of the colour or something like that, and you see all the royal family and you see the queen with her jewels on and everything, and you think, wow, that's splendid, majestic, glorious. And in the Bible, often the concept of glory is used to describe royalty and rulers. These days, royalty doesn't mean rulers, but we get the fact that biblically, they were the same thing. They didn't have democracy and parliaments. They had kings who ruled and who were splendid and glorious. And everywhere around the world, where there is royalty, there is glory, except in one place. Let me show you a slide. This guy here is the former president of Uruguay. Well loved by the people, but he shunned the trappings of office. Said, I don't want, uh, I don't want the, uh, you know, the trappings of, you know, I don't think I have a king over there, but I don't want to be, you know, all glorious. I want to live in my, you know, run-down shack. Thank you very much. I don't want to drive in an armor-plated Mercedes or Rolls-Royce, none of that. I'm going to drive in my old beat-em-up Beetle. And so he did. And people loved him for it. Well, I've got good news for you. God isn't that type of ruler. (laughs) God is a God of glory. God is a God of majesty and splendor. And Psalm 8 celebrates that. Psalm 8 is a kind of hymn of praise. Read the first verse. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name, your character, everything about you in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. What does he mean by that? They mean if you look up to the sky in the night and you see the glory of the night sky and you go, wow, then you get a glimpse a foretaste, a hint of the splendor and majesty of God. Now, astrophotography is one of my occasional hobbies. I don't particularly take it that seriously. I've never traveled anywhere to do it. But the other evening, it was a clear night, and I happened to know that Jupiter was visible in the night sky. And there was no moon. The moon came up a lot later. When the moon comes up, you can't see the stars because it is too bright. And also, if you waited until midnight, Saturn came up as well, above the horizon. And in the middle was what you can see from light pollution, Abingdon, of the Milky Way. So I said to my wife, I said, "Um, I'm I'm not going to bed normal time this evening. I'm going to do some astrophotography. The end of June, early July is the worst time for astrophotography because it gets dark really late. So I had to stay up till midnight. But there it was beautiful night sky with Jupiter, Saturn, and what you could see of the Milky Way. Lots of stars were out. And I enjoyed myself. And I got my camera, my tripod, and I took pictures. And I had a kind of worship time out there, trying not to disturb the neighbors. But it was a very spiritual experience, standing under the stars on a warm summer's night, just looking and thinking to yourself, that one there is hundreds of thousands of light years away. And it's incredible, the magnitude of the universe. And then you begin to think about the God who breathed it all into being. The God who spoke in its magnitude. And it was. And we stand here on one planet, in one galaxy, in one solar system, 
such a tiny part of the vast expanse of the universe, so small, and we can worship a God who made it all in its splendor. You watch the sunrise. That's very early this time of year, isn't it? If you do watch the sunrise, but you see the, the beauty and the splendor of the heavens. The heavens here doesn't mean the place where God's dwelling is, heaven. It means the skies. If you want to see the glory of God, then look up. Preferably when it's not too cloudy and not British. God has set his glory in the heavens. So what does it mean to to relate to God? Well, often we talk about ourselves glorifying God. And when we worship God, we are glorifying God. We are acknowledging God for who he is. We are saying, God, those stars didn't make themselves. This society is not an accident. Humanity is not just super-developed gorillas that came about out of nothing. We are here because you put us here. You are in control. You are sovereign. You are on the throne. We want to acknowledge you, and we want to glorify you. To glorify God means to treat him as God. To say, you are praiseworthy, so I will praise you. You are God, so I will acknowledge you. And that's what this psalm does. Verse 2, through the praise of children and infants, you get the victory over your enemies. You silence foes and avengers. You know, in our church, as I'm sure you have here, we've got some young children. And they join in with the songs as best as they can. And, and the devil sees that and gets really annoyed. <laughs> because there are children praising God. And we're all children, really, aren't we? Even the 96-year-old at our church is a child at heart. And we praise God and we glorify God through treating him as God. But then this psalm takes a twist. Because all of that is kind of standard issue. We know that. But the twist comes in verse 3. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. Verse 4. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. In other words, the psalmist says, since God deserves cosmic praise and glory... Who are we? Who are you? Who am I? Compared to God. Glory belongs to God, really, not us. So who are we that God should do anything for us, pay any attention to us? And the surprising answer comes in verse 5. That God has made us a little lower than the angels and crowned us with glory and honor. God, the great star-making God, the universe-creating God, has crowned us, humanity, with glory and honor. Hey, you say, surely we glorify God. Yes, we do. But in a sense, God has invested glory in each one of us sitting here this evening. God has crowned you with a degree of glory and honor. And maybe that makes you feel a bit uncomfortable and you say, what does that mean? How can God invest glory in me? Well, to understand this, we need to go right the way back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 1. God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, that they may rule 
over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds on the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. In other words, when God created Adam and Eve, he said to them, I want you to rule over everything. And that is what this psalm talks about. Notice verse 6. You have made them rulers over the works of your hands. You've put everything under their feet. This is going back to Genesis 1, to those verses there. It's reminding humanity of its original mandate, to look after the world on God's behalf, to be God's ambassadors in the creation he has made, to rule it, For him. That's what it means for God to invest us with glory and honor. We are told to be image bearers of the king. We are lower than angels, but we are higher than animals. And we are the highest creatures in the, in the terrestrial realm. And we are given consciousness. We are given hearts, minds. The ability to think, to know, free will, to choose. And we're told, use that to look after this creation for God. The best illustration I've come across of it is that of a mirror. Now, we all look in mirrors many, many times each day, I'm sure. Some of you look look like you've, you know, looked in the mirror before you came out. You brushed your hair and you scrubbed up nicely and Sunday best. And it's brilliant. Even, Even Wellesley looks smart. It's great. Good. We look in mirrors. We look in a mirror to see ourselves. But imagine the mirror was angled. And in effect, that is what, that is what we're supposed to be. As God's people in the world, we are supposed to be an angled mirror, 45 degree angle. So I'm getting back into this teaching business already. God is reflected from the mirror to the world around us. And we reflect the world around us Back to God. But a mirror at 45 degrees. We sum up the praises of creation. As the song goes, creation sings the Father's song. And we are like priests. And we bring creation and its offerings and its praises. And we bring it and we deflect it back to God and we give God the glory. And God says, I want you to be, I want to be reflected to the world. And we bring God's rule to bear on the world like these mirrors at an angle. Priests, a royal priesthood, a go-between between God and his creation. That is what it means to be crowned with glory and honor. And it really is an honor. Scholar Tom Wright puts it like this. Glory is a standard biblical way of referring to the wise rule of humanity in creation. Glory is an active quality. It is the glorious human rule through which the world is brought to its intended flourishing state and through which humans themselves come to their own intended flourishing as God reflectors, the ones through whom the loving, wise sovereignty of creator God is brought into powerful, life-giving presence within creation. Now you thought glory was floating on clouds once you've passed away playing a kind of, you know, harp in a disembodied state. It's so much more. 
glory as given to humanity is doing our God-given task to the best of our ability for God, with God, by God, as he breathes his spirit into us, as these God-reflectors, these angled mirrors. That is what scripture means in that sense, by the glory that God wants us to have. It's a positive mandate. It is, it is God's default plan for humanity. For every human being you see in this village, in this county, in this area, in this world, we're made to have that glory and honor. And yet, of course, things have gone wrong. The mandate is tarnished by the fall. It's tarnished by sin. It is spoilt. It is ruined. Because humanity is selfish. We ignore God. We reject God. We don't truly reflect God to the world. And we're not bothered about reflecting the world back to God. So although we look around the world today, we can see evidence of that glory, of the God mandate that we're given in Genesis. We do care for each other. You know, we're getting a new prime minister soon. And that prime minister, I'm sure, will, will want to address issues of social care as any good government should, whatever colour and flavour they are. We want to care for each other. We want our children to grow up in the best society possible. We see kind of glimpses. That comes from the heart of God. And it's good. We want to make the earth useful. We want to, to harness the resources on our planet. We want to build a better society for human flourishing. And they're all good. God-given Genesis mandate things. But also we selfishly spoil this world. We want more and more for ourselves at the cost to others. We don't mind putting tons of plastic in the oceans and so on. And we look at, at the carbon and all, and all of these sort of big ecological debates that are going on. And so often the common denominator is, is the selfishness of humanity. We look round and we see humanity at its best and at its worst, at its most beautiful and its ugliest. We see wars, we see tyrants. You look at North Korea and you see a young leader desperate to harness the most powerful weapons at the cost of, of food for his citizens. And we see there's something wrong there. That's not what God intended. And we see examples of it in our own societies, in our own lives. We see brokenness, we see mess because of selfishness and sin as a result of our sin the earth which god placed us on to look after on his behalf is under a curse and the earth fights back as any good gardener will know that the flower bed looked lovely last week my rhubarb looked lovely until the until the slugs got hold of it and now it doesn't look very nice either that or with the kids but the kids blame the slugs so i'll uh, i'll take their word for it we know there are weeds and there are thistles. Things aren't right anymore. And God says, look, creation is groaning. It's fighting back against the, the, the glory and honor of humanity and the mandate that hum, humans have been given. It's a megaphone, said C.S. Lewis, that something's wrong. It's screaming to us. Things are not as they should be. The mirror has gone Wonky. One commentator puts it like this. There are many things that fallen humanity cannot control. Weather, seasons, 
the instincts of animals, the tides, our own passions, natural disasters. Furthermore, the pollution of our planet, the spread of famine and war, the toll taken by... I think that's supposed to say drugs. <laughs> so you can keep your rugs. You're all right. <laughs> Carpets are fine. The toll taken by drugs, accidents and disease all tell the story of a lost destiny. It's not how the world should be. And we can see that. And when we understand Psalm 8, we understand a little bit about why things have gone wrong. Because God has given us glory and honor, and in our sin and selfishness and pride, we've abused it. And God has placed creation under a curse, and it's fighting back. And we see symptoms all around. It's not how it should be. But God has a plan. God always had a plan. And it's a cosmic plan of redemption. As I'm sure you're taught very well here, redemption is not just little old you getting forgiveness for your sin and a free ticket into heaven. It's much bigger than that. Redemption, salvation, is cosmic. God is going to redeem creation. Read Colossians 1. He's going to bring about a new redemption, a new creation in Christ Jesus. He's going to renew all things. Bring them together. Restore them to how they should be and more. A restoration of the divinely intended order. And of course he's going to remove sin. And he's going to replace humanity with a perfect version of itself. But to do that he needs a perfect mirror. A new mirror. A mirror that reflects perfectly God to man and man to God. What is necessary is a God-man. See where we're going with this? And that God-man of course is called Jesus. So please turn to the book of Hebrews and chapter 2 and verse 6. I believe you'll find it on page 1202. And here the author of the Hebrews is writing about Jesus. In fact, it's even put there in the title for us, Jesus Made Fully Human. And in doing so, the author quotes... From Psalm 8, verse 6, there is a place where someone has testified, what is mankind, that you are mindful of them, a son of man, that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. Who's that talking about? It's talking about Jesus. Carry on the reading. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that was not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, the God-man, the mirror, the perfect reflection, the perfect royal priesthood, who, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Jesus becomes crowned with glory and honor. He becomes the perfect human that Adam and Eve failed to be and we follow in their failed footsteps. Jesus becomes the ultimate human. And in him we can find our identity as redeemed, renewed humans, crowned with glory and honor. 
And that is so much the Christian message. That God wants you to be who he made you to be. And in Christ you can be. And your rebellion and your sin and your pride and your selfishness is dealt with by Christ on the cross as he suffered for you and took your sin and its consequences. So now you are free to be the person that God made you to be, that Christ died for you to be. At present, says Hebrews, we don't see everything under our feet. Animals bite and they hurt. Some of them kill. The ground fights back. The seasons wreak havoc sometimes. There are droughts, there are heat waves, there are disasters, there are wars and so on. But we do see Jesus. And when we see Jesus, we know that one day in Christ, God will make all things new. And it will be as it should be, as Revelation gloriously tells us. So through his death, we have the opportunity to embrace this vocation for ourselves. And notice the language that's used in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. He brought many sons and daughters to glory. What does that mean? Well, traditionally, we would say that when we pass away, we get to go and be in the presence of God and his glory. And yes, that is true. Amen. But it means something more, too. It means through Christ's death, there are many sons and daughters, many Adam and Eves, many you and me's, and people like us, who can be brought into the perfect world that God wants us to have, to be renewed and restored as a perfect humanity. It won't happen in this life, it'll happen in the next. But the next life is when Christ comes back and renews all things. And all trace of death, destruction, darkness, sin and pride is gone, banished forever. And all that is left is perfection. And finally, we are free to be the people that God really wanted us to be, glorified. Glorified. And you see this, don't you, in the book of Hebrews again. Chapter 2, verse 5, he says, we're talking about the world to come. Just before he quotes from Psalm 8, he says, look, we're talking about the life that is coming. We're talking about the new creation. This was God's plan from the beginning. And it's what it means to have glory. Let me show you a few more verses. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. God has chosen to make known his glorious riches. What are God's glorious riches? Christ in you. The what? The hope of glory. The hope of reigning with him. As he brings many sons and daughters to glory. Of being renewed to our true human mandate as image bearers of God. Romans chapter 8 verse 21. Creation currently groaning will be liberated from its bondage to decay. And what will it be brought into? The freedom and glory of the children of God. What a stunning verse. It took me years to even begin to understand this verse. That creation will be brought into the glory of the people of God. What does it mean, the glory of the people of God? It means that we will be looking after it as we should be. And it will be happy to be looked after as it should be. And God will be praised. 
And the Psalms, Psalm 96, 97, 98, 99, they talk about creation, the trees, the animals, the mountains, singing the praises of God, revealing his glory. There's a new world coming, folks. And it will be run by the people of God, by a restored humanity, liberated from its bondage to decay. Later on in Romans 8, we get these famous verses. Those who God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Famous verses called the golden chain of salvation. But look carefully. What does it mean to be brought into a relationship with God? It means that you become like Jesus. A 45 degree angled mirror. You become the go-between between humanity, creation, and God. You become an image bearer like Jesus. And therefore, when he justifies you, he glorifies you. And to be glorified means... You reign with him in the new creation, the age to come. So how do we respond to this? How do we, how do we come to God on the back of this? What do we do? Well, first, if you're not yet a Christian, what on earth are you waiting for? Do you think you can survive in life without God? Do you think you can carry on in your sin and your rebellion and rejecting God and rejecting the mandate that he created you for? The rebellion's up. Come to God. He's waiting there with open arms. Your sin and rebellion has been paid for on the cross. He wants to welcome you. He wants to justify you. He wants to make you more like his son. He wants to glorify you. He wants to give you a place with him in his glorious new world. And if you are a believer, maybe you've been a believer for a long time. Maybe your Christian life gets stale at times. And you struggle to relate to God. But when we think about who he is, when we think about what he's called us to, what he's made us for, it encourages us. It perks us up. And it leads us to praise and to worship. Which is why this psalm ends, doesn't it? Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Because when humanity is truly restored to what it should be, There will be universal praise and God will be there in the midst. That's why Revelation talks about the new heavens and the new earth. It's as if at the moment there's heaven and there is earth. But when God makes all things new, heaven will be earth and earth will be heaven. And Revelation says, look, God's dwelling place is now with the people. And God will be with us and we will be with God in a heavenly earth a perfect society and romans 8 says he wants you to be there and he sent his son to die so you can be so trust him engage with him thank him for his love and his goodness and his purposes and then finally look forward to all that he has 2 timothy chapter 2 says you need to obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Guess what Paul means by that? 
Eternal means the life to come, the age to come. The glory means being restored to our Genesis 1 mandate and some. And then he goes on and says, here is a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, if we are crucified with Christ, if his death counts for us, then we will be raised with him, we will live with him. His resurrection counts for us too. And if we endure, if we persevere, then what will happen? We will reign with him. We will be there, co-heirs of his glorious inheritance, ruling with glory and honor over the new creation when God puts everything under our feet and we truly live as he wants us to live. Be grateful. This is God's grace. Through his spirit, ask that it would sink deep into our hearts and transform us. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing a couple of songs of response. Let's pray. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. Lord, we look up and we see your glory and we are awestruck. And then we look within and we look around and we see so much mess and we're disheartened. And so, Lord, we pray that this evening you would restore our faith in you. Equip and inspire us with a vision of the future, with all you have accomplished in Christ and will fulfill when he returns and makes all things new. Lord, we thank you that you will do this, that you guarantee it. And so we say, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And when you do, we thank you that you will crown us with glory and honor, not because of our achievements and our goodness and our qualifications, but because of your grace, your death and resurrection. And thank you that in Christ we can count as having died with him, being raised with him, and therefore we can share his inheritance and we can reign and rule with him, truly the people that you made us to be. What a wonderful positive message you give us. Help us to be inspired and encouraged by it. And may it transform our lives this week, we pray. In your name we ask. Amen.